We're just okay, and we play some movies. We're just okay, movie watchers. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just Okay Movies. I'm your host, Biggie Size, and let me say I have a newfound appreciation and respect for audio engineers and everyone in that in that field. I've had quite a time trying to get this episode going, so I apologize greatly for it being so late. The file got messed up during recording because of my audio equipment messing up, and then my whole rig stopped working, so I just had to go through and go through so much, but we are having this episode, damn it. I don't like to leave you guys a week with no episode, so I'm making it happen. Because I love you guys. I hope you enjoy it. Just me this week. Uh, Guido's got stuff he's got to take care of. But I actually have two films I want to talk about. I'm kind of going to combine this review with two films. Uh, Mainly because I feel on their own. There's not enough to talk about. And these are what I would consider to be popcorn flicks. You know, films that you kind of turn your brain off a little bit. And just enjoy. Enjoy the spectacle. I don't consider these to be... Offense, nah, offensive is the wrong word. Insulting. Because that's kind of the problem when you say, oh, it's a popcorn flick. Is, oh, so I need to not think about what I'm doing. I need, because what's going on is dumb and stupid. I wouldn't go so far to say that this is the case with these two films. But I would say going against a better film, you quickly can see the issues with it. But anyways, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. The two films we're going to be talking about today are Alita, Battle Angel, and the movie Mortal Engines. So let's jump straight into Alita. That's probably the one I'm probably most excited to actually talk about. And if you enjoy sci-fi, really for both of these films, if you enjoy sci-fi worlds, you know, kind of going into a whole new world and see how that society thrives in the uh, near or far future... Both these films are wonderful in that regard. It kind of have a somewhat of a different style, but they're both surprisingly very similar in their design, in their tone. And we'll try to get into some of that stuff without going too far into it uh, and hear me begin to ramble on things. Alita Battle Angel is by far going to be the hardest one to talk about when it comes to story. So I'm going to do the best I can. So forgive me if things start sounding a little crazy because there's a lot going on in this film. So the gist of the film is, and we'll just do a quick synopsis of it. A robotic scientist slash, uh, what's the word? They call him, uh, not Monster Hunter. That's a game. Uh, demon. No, not Demon Hunter either. He's basically a bounty hunter. Uh, finds this broken robot in this pile of rubble. And brings her back to life. It's a she is a robot. It they kind of allude that maybe she's also partially human. I that part I didn't quite catch. I think the film may have mentioned it, but I don't quite remember. He brings her back to life, and she doesn't remember who she is or where she came from or even her name. And he gives her the name Alita. A gentleman who plays as the uh, scientist, the robotic scientist, is the guy who plays as uh, the main German bad guy in Hateful Eight. Uh, his name escapes me. Fantastic actor. I mean, he's just super good. If you've seen any film he's been in, he's fantastic. And uh, so he plays as kind of the father figure to Alita because she's kind of cute and innocent looking girl. 
Got big, those big Disney eyes, as Red Letter Media would call it. So you can't help but fall in love with her because she's also very naive. She's learning things again for the first time. But the only thing she can do is talk and walk around. She doesn't know about the world she's in or anything. So you're kind of along with her. And that's actually really nice because we don't know anything about this world either. This is based off of a, a manga and I think also an anime they made of it. So people who are fans of the series probably know more than even the, the film leads on as these you know mostly go cut out a lot of the fluff. So I'm sure there's a lot more to this world that's not shared in the film. But as a viewer, we don't know either. So it's kind of fun to be in that position where we're learning about the world and how things go along with her. And we kind of develop that connection like, oh, we're, we're kind of on the same level as her. And we're we really feel more invested in the character. Movies do this stuff all the time. Last Starfighter is the one that comes to mind, you know, being in a completely different situation. And uh, we learn about the world that there's basically two so types of society. There's the people who live on the ground, and they're by far the lowest members of society. It's basically slums. But there's a city that lives up in the sky, and that's where the, the I don't know if I want to say chosen people, but the people of the society who are the most important live up there. And both societies do not interact with each other, except that the high society basically dumps all their garbage down into <laughs> the lower ones, which is actually where Lita was found. So apparently she was up in that world at some point, but why she ended up in the trash, we don't know, and she doesn't know either. And we also know one other big aspect about this uh, society, and that is the sport that they all love to watch. Uh, I think it's called Death Ball or something like that. It's a simple concept. Basically, there's a track... And all these players are on like these roller skates and they skate around the track and a ball like shoots out and they chase after this ball and it's all, all hell breaks loose. Like anything goes, they can kill other opponents, crash them, do anything they want. But the goal, the win is to get the ball and put it back into the hole on the track and you win. Uh, I, I don't know if maybe also killing everyone else on the track. I guess technically you still have to put the ball in the hole, but you know, if there's no one else around and that's a really easy feat. So we know this about the society and we also know a little bit about how it came to be this way. Apparently what happened in the past was there's a great war and this is all that's left of humanity, or at least that we know of. So as Alita grows, she starts remembering things about her past that apparently she was some sort of great warrior, which she laid uh, the uh, robot doctor guy uh, reveals to her that she's a berserker, which is this lost piece of technology from the old world that like the her heart and her core is able to power almost the whole city for like years. That's just how powerful it is. So she's like this truly unique piece of technology. And you kind of figure that out later because she looks a lot better than everyone else. Like all the other robots around almost feel like DIY projects. You know, they got like tubes and stuff sticking in them. They're powerful and real bulky, but they look kind of low tech, whereas she is way more sophisticated. And later on, she finds her basically her suit that she's supposed to have. And that's where she starts learning even more about herself. Like it was the, they were the ones to take down the high society people, or at least one person in particular who's in high society on the little cloud planet. His name's Nova. 
and he's bad for reasons that we don't really know. <laughs> does this sound crazy? Like, does this sound just like a, a mess of ideas? Uh, it does to me. And when you're watching the film, that's probably my biggest gripe about it is they throw so many things at you. Like, I've already left stuff out. I haven't talked about her boyfriend arc. I uh, haven't talked about her mentor arc with whoever trained her up. Those are fairly smaller arcs, but they play a big role in the story and the narrative. And that's the film's biggest flaws. This film's like two hours long, and they try to fit in so much stuff that I'm sure is way more fleshed out in the manga or the anime. But they have to have it in there to make it feel complete. But I just felt like it was just thrown in at various points. Almost could have just done without it. If I'm if I'm to be honest, they should have left out the whole war part because it is barely explained and it's a complete mess. Other than to show that something big happened years, like they, I think they said it was like 300 years ago. So she's really old for a robot. Uh, to have that whole plot, just wipe that out. Just have it be a simple story about a guy finds a girl robot who's very advanced and she learns that she was meant for a purpose. To take down this Nova guy. Because we don't even know what Nova necessarily did wrong. At least I was not explained very well in the film. And then the reason why that's such a problem is at the very end of the film. The only way you can get up to the city is if you're the death ball champion. And that feels kind of thrown in the very end to kind of give purpose to maybe a sequel. And you see Nova, he's like watching the game and watching her. And at the very end, she has this sword. She points it up to him and he does like a little smirk like, okay, she's coming up here now. Welcome to my world, bitch, kind of thing. And she's like, I'm coming for you, Nova. But at this point, we don't really even know who the fuck Nova is or why he matters. The main bad guy in the film is this, uh, it's actually the guy who, who plays as the piano player in Green Book. Fantastic actor. Really, he did a great job. But Nova can, like, take control of people. I guess certain people who accept his will or whatever. And he takes control of that Green Book guy. And, like, talks through him to Alita. And that's where she's like, I'm coming for you, Nova. But you're still like, why? I don't know what you did. I don't know if you made something that was supposed to destroy the society. Maybe the whole war was your fault. After watching the film, I'm not totally sure because I'm still like, aren't you supposed to be getting ready for the death ball game? Because even that gets thrown in. The death ball thing just comes out of nowhere. You're like, oh, this is the plot now. I thought the plot was her trying to figure out who she is. And then it goes to, oh, you're... you're uh, mentor guy your dad father figure uh is a bounty hunter now i want to be a bounty hunter and now i want to get all the bounty hunters together this is how this film feels it feels like it's just too many plot points thrown together so if there's one terrible thing i want to say about the film it's that the next is the acting the acting is not very good uh, everyone feels very generic except for i want to say his name is george holtz but i don't think that's right uh, the doctor guy, he's fantastic, and the Green Book guy's great. But everyone else, it feels like B-list acting, like almost to the level of a made-for-TV movie acting. And that's okay. 
because the story and the setting is just kind of interesting. If at all, if the story is just a mess, at least it's kind of interesting, even if it's a mess. So I can forgive it a little bit for at least trying to make an interesting world and interesting characters in it. Now, the positive thing I'll say about the film is Alita, the character, looks fantastic, if maybe a bit cheap and manipulative. Remember when I talked about the whole Disney eyes things that Red Letter Media like to say about uh, Avatar? And if you don't know what that means, basically, RLM says that the Disney eyes are the large, innocent-looking eyes that that kind of manipulates you to think, oh, this person is is what's the word uh, naive and kind you know having big eyes makes you feel more emotional more tied to them because it's like a little puppy dog you know a little puppy dog looks at you with its eyes you're like oh god i just met you and i love you and it, it's very effective and i think that's part of the reason why we kind of kind of cared for the blue people in Avatar because definitely they had no personality and their story wasn't all that great, but you at least kind of felt for them because those big old eyes and their other defining features. And that's the same thing with Alita. She's this little girl who doesn't know anything and she's got those big old eyes looking at you. So you're just manipulated by her design to care for her. And I would harp on that harder if it wasn't that it kind of worked for the story. From what we know of the story, because she starts becoming a little darker, a little more uh, predatorial because of her, once she starts learning more about who she is. And I like that. So it, it works. It works better here than it did in Avatar, if you compare the two. And it also is kind of an amazing that uh, the lady playing her, they CGI'd her whole body. So... She was there doing the motions and talking and stuff. The real actress. I'm not sure who she is. And then they just CGI'd everything else. It looks pretty good. You know, it's not too bad. You know, if they're trying to make a, a very human-looking cyborg, I think they did an all right job. Uh, other than that, you know, it's an okay film. Still, if you enjoyed uh, movies like Jupiter Ascending or films like that that were or uh, probably the best what I could point to as being very similar to Speed Racer. If you saw the live-action Speed Racer and enjoyed it, go for it. I think you'll find this film very entertaining in that same regard. I love the Speed Racer live-action film. I thought it was so much fun. It was really nice, too, in Blu-ray. That was one of the first Blu-ray films I got, and when I got an HDTV, and man, the colors, all that looks so good, and it. it still looks good. So even if the acting and everything's pretty bad, it looks gorgeous in high definition. Can't imagine 4K. But uh, but yeah, it's a great film. I, I recommend it if you're wanting a nice sci-fi popcorn flick. If I was going to give it a rating, I know we've been using the popcorn rating lately. I, I like it too. You know, I give it a solid two and a half out of four. Very middle of the road, but I, I feel like that's that's a good rating for it. So check it out if any of that sounded interesting, that whole ramble. I feel like I've been rambling, but it's really a mess. So let's get to a film that's a little, uh, I would say a little more straightforward, but still very fascinating. Mortal Engines. It's a film I've been really looking forward to uh, just because of the concept alone. Uh, heavy, heavy CGI, probably even more than the Alita. Maybe just because the design of these 
monstrosities. You, know, you can't really, you could do a model, but what they're doing with them probably wouldn't work with a model. So what is Mortal Engines? The main story is, in the far future, humanity wiped itself out with war. Using these weapons, or some sort of like electronic imploding weapons. You get to see one later in the film. Basically, it shoots a piece of uh, energy into a ball. And then just everything gets sucked into it and it explodes and shoots everything back out. It's it's crazy looking. Basically, the, the world destroyed itself with war. So the societies that were left over had to scavenge the world for resources to survive. And the best way to do that was to build their cities to be mobile. And they had different names for them. The one they, they mentioned is the bigger cities, what they, they call them predator cities. This is because they're so large and they eat their prey. And the biggest one right now is London. So London decides to go over. Apparently, there's a land bridge now that you can go from Europe into Americas. And it's on the hunt. That's kind of how the film starts. You see London pulling up. And it's pulling up to this really... This design is so cool. It starts out with looks like just a city and people are like doing commerce and stuff, you know, and it looks real crappy. Like you, like you would imagine in like a post-apocalyptic future, you know, everything's real run down. People have just been putting stuff together to try to make it work like buildings, all pieces of metal and stuff. Like that. But then when they see London coming, they're freaking out because they know what's going to happen. The city's basically going to eat them <laughs> essentially. So, it, the camera zooms out and all these buildings and stuff are built on these tanks. They just scatter. It's so cool. So it's just like anywhere, as long as there's enough room, you can put all these seeds together, do commerce, and then they disperse. That's a, that's such a cool idea. But anyways, London's coming and it's going to eat those up because their problem is they need resources to power their city. It's this... I mean, it still looks very post-apocalyptic, but compared to the others, it's like a paradise. And it's just so cool. Like, that whole concept is so interesting compared to everything else you could imagine. Post-apocalyptic, future societies, they're all on wheels because they have to keep scavenging to survive. So our story revolves around a London person who gets betrayed by one of their leaders and a girl whose mother was killed by that same leader. So basically in London, there's a power struggle between kind of still doing the, the hunt thing, keep rolling around, or there's another guy who, the guy who betrayed the one guy and killed the mother of the main girl, who believes they should go to war with the biggest motherfuckers on the continent, but no one has ever won against them. It's this Asian society. They're protected by a dam. And it's so cool at the very end because this dam has like guns galore on it when London finally tries to take them down. So you have this battle of ideologies, but the main bad guy, he's got a secret weapon to take down that wall. And that's the big mystery of the film is what is he building? Hidden in a tower. And for some reason, the other guy, the old school guy, is doesn't want to go see it. That part's kind of weird. But anyways, throughout the film, you're following the British guy who gets kicked out and the girl who's on a revenge, 
going out for revenge to take down the guy who's building something. This one's a little complicated too, so I'm going to do my best to explain what's going on. So what we find out later is the main bad guy, who's actually played by the actor who played uh, uh, Agent Smith. Really good. He did a great job. He has one of these energy weapons. And he's going to use it against that society. And that society, you kind of wonder if maybe they're just as bad as the main bad guy. But no, they're very peaceful. They're accepting. They want people to come in and join them because they got to all stick together. And at the very end, the girl finally gets her revenge against him. They stop the doomsday weapon and everything's great. <laughs> oh, man. That's basically the synopsis of the film. I've got to say, it's very enjoyable. I had a lot of fun watching it. The uh, The cities look so interesting. Uh, we kind of talked about that during the synopsis. They're, they're, uh, they range from looking like completely shitty to really fascinating. But then seeing them fight and run from each other, it's just so neat. The setting is more interesting than the story itself. I kind of was boring myself talking about this story. But it's just that world that they built is really cool. And I don't really, oh, I do have one thing I want to talk about that really pissed me off. This film's made by Universal, and one of the really cool aspects of this movie is in London, our British guy who gets kicked out, he's a historian. And that was fascinating because they had this archive of all these old things that they find uh, while roaming around the earth for resources. And... You go into their archive area and they have all these like toasters and TVs. They even show like iPhones. They have this case that they call the screen age. And it's like an old TV, an iPhone, a computer. It, that's just so neat. Like look at these characters looking at stuff that we use now and, and how they're interacting with it. But they don't really play that up enough. I kind of wish they did it a bit more. But one part in particular, they hit like a bump or something, and they're like, quick, secure the old gods' uh, relics. And they look out, and you go over, and it's two minion statues. Minions like from the uh, minion movie and all that stuff. And that was just so fucking lame, because you just, you could just imagine some bigwig at Universal saying, we gotta have the minions in this movie. This movie where they don't belong at all. We got to have two stupid ass looking statues of the minions and call them the old gods. Man, how lame is that? That almost made me not want to watch the film. And that's early on. Why? Why would you do that? But anyways, at least it's a small cut, but it's just so fucking lame. I can't believe Peter Jackson allowed that. I hope that wasn't his idea. I just, I can imagine... Universal wanted to do that as a joke, and it just was it wasn't funny. It was it was kind of lame. But everything else about the film, not bad. The acting, meh. Still, we're thinking popcorn level. The, that's where it was. But it's the world, the sense of adventure, because they're having to go around to figure out a plan to take down London, especially when they figure out there's a weapon there. So it's kind of that fun uh scheming. Because these people are just, they don't really have any power. So they, they got to use their wit to outsmart the, the more powerful enemy. And all the little cool locations. You know, all the places on the ground are really neat. It's, it's really cool when they're having to like go through the, the world without a vehicle. 
because it just feels so big. Because just everything got wiped out, so it's just so much land around. So that's part pretty cool. There's also like these sky cities that you can only get to if you got a plane, and that's kind of neat too, as a, a safe haven from the the big uh, what, what they call them predator cities down below. They can get to the sky. All that stuff is kind of cool. I would almost say a good comparison would be Waterworld, and I know Waterworld is a it's a fine movie. It it was. What's the word am I looking for? It was panned and meme to oblivion. Really just because it cost too much to make. And it flopped because no one cared about that film. The film itself is fine. It's just fine. So it, it's more of the situations around the film dictated everyone's thought of the movie. And you could almost say the same thing about Moral Engines because it flopped in theaters as well, just not spectacularly because no one even remembers it. I forgot about it until I'll, I saw a, a little thing online for it. I'm like, I want to watch that. So if you liked Waterworld, <laughs> that's a terrible comparison. <laughs> that That's a bad way of starting a pitch to your film. If you liked Waterworld, then you will probably love Mortal Engines. And if anything I talked about has you at least slightly interested, I would recommend watching it. Fun, interesting take on a post-apocalyptic film. And hey, if you want to share your thoughts on these films or any other film, shoot me an email at justokmovies at gmail.com. Also, send us a tweet at justokmovies. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I guess to wrap up, Oscars happened this Sunday. Uh, Guido and I were pretty much saying Roma's going to win. And I think our opinions haven't changed on that. Those are the That's the one that's going to win. I'll be shocked if it's any of the other ones. And we're, I think we just got kind of tired of talking about the Oscar films. We plan on doing two every week, but honestly, we're like, none of these films are really that great. And we're just tired of talking about them. Um, the next one we were supposed to talk about was Vice. I guess I'll talk about it for a moment. Basically, if you've seen um, the, the Big Short, that's what it's called. It's the same director. It's the same style. Vice is the same as that one. And... I think it's actually better than the big short because it annoyed me quite a bit because it felt a bit too smirky, a bit too pretentious and clever than it really was. Like you could just feel the them thinking, oh, we're so clever by having Margaret Roby in the in a bathtub talking about how uh uh mortgage payments work. Like it's like God, and they did it over and over and over. So lame, it took you out of the story. Vice luckily doesn't do that too much. Although, there's one scene in particular that really pissed me off. So what happens is, Dick Cheney, if you don't know, Vice is about Dick Cheney, where he started and kind of how he came to be the vice president and some stuff afterwards. This part of the film, George Bush, George W. Bush, has asked him to be his running mate, and he's kind of considering it, but he's not sure if he wants to do it. So then they do a scene where he's in bed with his wife, and he's trying to decide with her, am I going to do this? 
And then narrator throughout the whole film, there's a narrator. He says, we don't know exactly what happened here, what was said to make him decide to do it. But it definitely wasn't done like a Shakespearean play. And after he says that, they basically do the scene as if it was a Shakespearean play. And it made me so mad because it was that same feeling of, okay, I'm really invested in this film. I really want to see what their interpretation is of it. Why the fuck are we doing it in old English now? Like so overdone, you know, that, that whole, like to wish would you decide to conquer the world? Do you know that whole kind of thing going on for like five minutes? And it's so sad. That still, that part alone made me want to stop watching the film because I feel like it's it's not. Hey, we're doing this scene, and we really hope it really captures your attention. It really wins you on the emotional level, the intellectual level. This is just I want to be kind of um, oh, what's the word? Clever. I want to be clever. I want the I want the audience to think this film I'm making is very clever and interesting because that's me as a director. It screams desperation and I hate it because the story is very interesting on its own. You don't need those things to make it more interesting than it already is. At least with the big short, they were trying to explain some fairly complex uh, financial uh, situations and and tactics and things like that but this this wasn't helping me at all understand you're just taking the piss other than that oh and one other scene where they kind of do a, a fake out but it's the lamest fake out i've ever seen in my life after he uh leaves the government they say you know he goes and becomes the ceo of halliburton and they're like and he Raised his kids and was happily ever after living at his home somewhere. And then they start rolling the credits. And it's... Oh, lame. How is this film getting, like, nominated for an Oscar? It's disgusting. But go watch it. It's actually very interesting. I don't know factually how interesting it is. It's definitely anti-Dick Cheney and a bit anti-Bush as you know anti the Republican area era of that time but I will say they did a really good job at the end uh Dick Cheney well Dick Cheney breaks the fourth wall and Dick Cheney's played by Christian Bale who's a fantastic actor fantastic I had no idea that was Christian Bale unless uh uh, Guido told me because I saw trailers for it. I had no idea that was him. That's just he's a phenomenal actor. He looks at the camera and basically says, I do not apologize for anything I did so that you could sleep at night and enjoy your family. Everything I did was for that. It says it much better than that, but that's the gist of it. And I found that to be kind of interesting because I felt like, first of all, that's something Dick Cheney would say. I, I feel that way. Um, but also, I think it kind of made you think for just a second that maybe he's 
right. Maybe that was the only way to make sure I could sleep at home at night and not worry about another terrorist attack or anything like that. Not to say that that's the case, you know, that's the for you to make mind about it, but I found it to be a really nice touch. And if there was any point that they should break a fourth wall or have some sort of tangent, that was the time to do it. Not some shitty-ass Shakespearean part during a bedroom scene where it was completely unwarranted. Or a fucking fake-out. Like, God, so lame. But go check it out. It was actually pretty interesting. I recommend it. Well, anyways, guys, thank you all so much for listening uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm I'm a bit flustered from everything I've had to deal with, so I may not have done the best I could I could have done. But I appreciate you all listening regardless, and we will be back with um, possibly another review or maybe just a discussion episode next week. We'll find out together, I guess. <laughs> you all take care. Have a great evening. <laughs>